Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. You know it's about to get real when a preacher turns to Revelation. Like people right now are wondering, dear God, are we going to talk about the blood moons? Are we going to talk about the crazy stuff? I mean, no, we're not. But we're going to talk about the book of Revelation, not the book. We're actually going to look at one letter to a church that's in Revelation chapter 2. And um, the book of Revelation was written by John, the disciple John. It was written 95 years, or about 95 AD. Well, 90, it's actually 95 years after the resurrection, sorry. So 95 years after the resurrection, which is incredible because Jesus appears to John. Now, Jesus appeared to Paul like 35 years after the resurrection, but he appears to John about 95 years after the resurrection, and um, which, is, which is just a, 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 I'm sorry, no, 95 AD, which 60, anyways, do the math. Anyways, the point is, Jesus is still appearing. That was the whole point of that. But he appears to John, and John is on the island of Patmos. How did he get to the island of Patmos? Well, they had actually tried to, um, <laughs> to all that you know this, and the, I'm laughing, it's not something you laugh about. Um, all the disciples, now you're laughing. This is even worse. I've, I've led you astray. Um, but all the disciples were martyred for their faith, except John, and they tried to kill John. They had him boiled in oil. But one of the early church writers, Tertullian, actually says, and he says this, he said, they tried to kill him, but he refused to die. I just thought, what's the devil going to do with somebody that just refuses to die? You know, like, maybe that could be my testimony. That's what I thought. Maybe it could be your testimony, my testimony. Like, the devil did all he could. I just refused to fold. I refuse to give up. I refuse to stop. Boil me alive, and I'll just end up on an island, and I'll write another book of the Bible. Like, I just refuse. I just let it. He just refused to die. So anyways, so he is on the island of Patmos, and he has this encounter with Jesus. And so most of the book of Revelation is all written, if you have a, a Bible where it's red print when Jesus is talking, it's mostly all red ink because this is a revelation of Jesus given to John after he refused to die on the Isle of Patmos. And then he writes to the seven churches, um, the seven churches in Revelation or the seven churches in Asia Minor, which would be modern-day Turkey. And he writes a letter to each of them, uh, or John, I guess, really transcribes it, but it was from Jesus. And most of them kind of follow this line of they have a commendation, a correction, they have a counsel, they have a cost, and they have a crown or reward. And he just kind of says, like, you'll see it in a minute. He's like, here's the problem. Here's what you need to do. You know, here's, the, here's my counsel. Here's what it will cost you if you don't. And here's the reward you'll get if you do. And so we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to read, this is the letter, first letter actually, but it's the letter to Ephesus where Timothy was the pastor. Um, and so Revelation 2, verse 1, it says, The angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars um, in the right hand, one who walks among the seven gold, golden lampstands, 
So the angel, that would be the messenger. So this is a message. The star would be the pastor or the leader. We know that from Daniel chapter 12, that stars are like leaders. And then the golden lampstand is actually the presence of God in the church. So it is, the, you know, which we understand without the presence of God, it's not a church, right? It's like a PTA meeting or something. You know, it's a good meeting where we do good things and people gather, but without the presence of God, it's not church. Right. So, so that kind of hopefully clears that up. Verse two, it says, I know your works, your toll, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. By the way, this is his commendation. You, but you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. And I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and have not grown weary. All of that's the commendation, but here comes the correction. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. So here comes the counsel. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, here comes the cost. I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent, yet this, I, this you have. So he's going to give them another commendation. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans. They, Nicolaitans were kind of connected to Balaam, but it was basically idol worship. And in the Roman culture, they thrived in idol worship and pagan, you know, paganism or whatever, and they would try to pull Christians into idol worship. I'm so glad that our culture, our modern culture today, doesn't try to pull Christians into idol worship. <laughs> like, you know, an idol is just anything you put first. Like, if there's anything you have to check with to see if you can serve God, it's an idol. Anything that orders and organizes you, order your life around, it's an idol. I mean, there are people right now, they're involved in the religion of football, and they miss church because the Cowboys are going to play at three, and they got to make sure the burgers are done. They've got an idol. That's why the Cowboys can't win. And once they become an idol, God has to smite them. If y'all would stop worshiping the Cowboys, they'd go back to winning. Anyways. <laughs> oh, come on, man. No hating on the Cowboys. Just don't. I was born a Cowboys fan. I can't get delivered. Anyways. Um, but he said, I'll come and remove the lampstand from his place unless you repent. Yet this I have. We said this. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Because, you know, culture serve this, do this, have this, chase this, pursue this. Then he said, who has an ear, let, it, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And then here comes the reward of the crown. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So here's, here's what he says. Like He says, you're doing great in some areas. Like you're loving truth and you're hating evil. But the problem is this. You've lost your passion. You're still doing all the stuff you're just doing it void of passion. And with God, when you have form without passion, you have religion. And he's not religious. When, when, when you have activity without heart, you have religion. And he said, you're in danger. And I, was, I, I wanted to preach this message for a couple months, really, honestly, but I got to thinking about this because I feel this. I feel this in my own heart, and I just thought, and I just thought I would start by asking you this, and start, and then we'll we'll dive in together. But, but I wonder today if you were trying to, 
evaluate your passion for God. I'm not talking about uh, your religious prowess. I'm not talking about your practices, you know, like you read the Bible or you come to church. You're in church. You're doing wonderful. I'm not talking about the things you do. I'm talking about where it's driven from. I'm not talking about your motions. I'm talking about your motives. Like if you had to evaluate your passion for Jesus, I'm not talking about the good stuff you do. I'm not asking if you're on a serve team or lead a life group. I'm asking if you were honest with you and you said, how in love, how, how much in, in love with Jesus am I? How passionate am I? Because you know what? There's going to be some people really passionate today about football games. And they're going to scream and cuss and yell at their TVs and the referees. And they're going to cheer and root. And they're going to be passionate for a bunch of 20-year-old guys that get paid millions of dollars to chase pigskin around a field. Who at the end of the day, whether they win or lose, they're going to go home in their Lamborghinis. And there are people that's going to be passionate. I'm just saying, like, I know how to measure passion for a sports team. If I came to your house, I could probably figure that out. If I hung out with you, I could probably figure that out. If I look in your closet, I can see your... I know how to measure passion for certain things. I'm asking you, if you had to measure your passion for Jesus today, you don't have to tell anybody else, and here's the secret God already knows, but where is that on a scale of 1 to 10? 10 being, man, I'm on fire for God. Like, I am so in love with Jesus. And 1 being, man, I have grown cold. And I'm doing the stuff, but it's not connected to my heart anymore. Like, where is your passion for Jesus? And so this is what he says. He said, you've lost that. <laughs> you've lost that love and feeling. Baby, <laughs> oh, I told you I wouldn't sing. Anyways. He said, you've lost that love and feeling. The great thing is he tells us how to get it back, and that's what we're going to talk about. I call this message, um, you get a do-over. Because <laughs> that's what he tells the, the church of Ephesus. He said, I got this. This is the problem. But you get a do-over. It'll make sense in the end. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Oh, don't let us miss you in this moment. Change us forever. In Jesus' name, amen. You get a do-over. You know, really, when I read this text, there were two main questions. These aren't really the points, but it was how I organized what I wanted to talk to you about. There were two main questions that I had. The first question was, how did they lose their passion? How do you lose passion? And, and I came to three things, really, ultimately. The first thing is passivity. Sometimes we just lose our passion because we're not intentional. You know, a fire goes out if you don't put wood on it. And, and what I know about relationships, and you probably know this too, but if not, let me help you. In relationships, you never maintain a relationship. In fact, you really don't maintain much of anything in our universe. It either grows or it dies. Right? So many times, if I give you an analogy, relationships are kind of like a garden. Like, you know, we all want to harvest the fruit of a relationship. You know, we like ripe tomatoes and squash and zucchini and whatever else, to, uh, potatoes. Um, but the truth of the matter is, if you've ever had a garden, 
if you want to harvest out of it, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of intentionality. You have to keep weeding. You have to keep fertilizing. You have to keep watering. You have to keep working the garden. And all of us have probably seen a garden that someone stopped working. And it just gets overgrown, and there's no fruit in there, and the vines kind of choke everything out. Well, what happened? Well, because like relationships, gardens don't maintain themselves. You're either intentional or you're not. It's really a principle. It applies as a great principle for your spiritual life because it applies, especially here the first of the year. In our spiritual life, we either grow or we die. You don't ever stay the same. Um, there's a principle, the grow or die principle actually comes from the teachings of Jesus in the scripture because he's talking about the, the talents and he gave three people talents. Two of them went out and invested and, and made more and one of them just said, I'm going to try to maintain this by digging a hole and putting it in the ground so that I just keep what I have. And Jesus comes back and he says, to those who were given, much will be given, but to the one that, to those that have, much will be given, but the one that has not. In other words, the one that just tried to maintain it, you're going to lose what you have. And he takes the talent and gives it to someone else. And he's trying to illustrate the principle. You don't maintain anything. You either grow it or it dies. In your relationships, they grow or they die. In your life, you're a growing or you are dying. And when it comes to your relationship with God, it is growing or it is dying. And if you think it's the same as it was last year, I hate to tell you this, you have slid. Because it didn't stay the same. And I think what happens sometimes through passivity, it's not, it's not a negative thing. You know, understand this, that when God comes with correction, it is always love and grace. Quick correction is, is a lot of times the greatest um, display of grace because kind of like, you know, I used to, uh, well, I am a pilot. I don't fly anymore, but I used to fly. And um, I don't know if you know this about airplanes, but they go really fast and they're not on roads. And so if you get a couple of degrees off, you know, going a few hundred miles an hour and you go that way for a few hours, you're lost. Like if you're in a jet and you're a little bit off, you can end up in Massachusetts when you thought you were going to Montana. And so a quick, when they come on and they say, you know, you know, for me it was Bonanza 6645 Lima. When they say 45 Lima check heading, what they're saying is you're about to get lost. Or you're not paying attention and you've drifted. And that's why they're talking here. They're saying, hey, here's the direct. It wasn't a directive. They didn't decide I'm going to move away from Jesus. No, they lost some intentionality and they just drifted away. And that's what happens sometimes in our life. We just drift away. It's not that we don't love Jesus. It's not that we're mad. It's not that we're upset. We just drifted away. We just weren't intentional. That's why 21, these times of prayer and fasting are so important because it requires us to make a decision to be intentional. And that's my concern. Here I am as a pastor, like almost begging you, like, please fast, please pray, please join with us. Some people, ah, you know, you're drifting. You're going to end up in Delaware. And so there's passivity, then there's compromise. And that's just, you know, that's just where all of a sudden, over a process of time, we, we're okay with things that we didn't used to be okay with. You know, it's kind of like when, when we get comfortable with sin. Like it, it used to, this, this was a sin, now it's an issue or a problem or a thing, and 
Used to it really mattered, but now everybody kind of, you know, um, the reality is the only way you can compromise is through justification. And we don't, we don't always understand this, but there are two types of justification. There's justification that comes from God where he makes you right. That process requires repentance and forgiveness. Then there's self-justification where we try to make us right. And that's usually where compromise is. Because used to this was a sin, but now I'm doing better. Well, I'm doing better than them. Well, God really understands. Well, God's grace is sufficient. I'm not asking about the power of God's grace. I'm asking about the depth of your conviction and your commitment to him. I understand how powerful God's grace is. I'm asking about how, how strong your surrender is. And so there are times where we allow things to come in and we, we will watch things and do things and say things and take part in things. And, and, and compromise really is two things. It's either things we start doing or things we stop doing. But either way, we've allowed something to come in or we've allowed something to cease. And now it's got us to a place of compromise. And then the next one is, pa is passivity, distractions. And, I'm sorry, passivity, compromise. And the last one is distractions. In, in Mark chapter 4, he talks about this parable of the sower, and he's sowing seed into the soil. And again, the soil, they're not bad people. The soil's the heart. And the Word of God's going in, but there's always things fighting the Word of God. And there's stones and places in our heart we haven't dealt with, hard places, and that kind of fights the Word of God. It's not that we're evil people. No, it's not what he's talking about. But in this one, he says, man, the seed goes in, and it starts growing, and then these thorns, they start choking it out. And he says, he says, those thorns are the, they're the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. And can I tell you, as someone who's been a Christian a long time, as someone who's been a pastor a long time, as long as you're breathing air, you're going to deal with those three things. Like, I wish they would go away. But I'm just telling you, today, I have cares thanks to this world does anybody else have any cares because you live in this world? Yeah, we do. And, and I wish I didn't. I, I wish they wouldn't distract me from faith. But sometimes I get to worrying about things. And I get to dwelling and thinking on things. And it's the cares of the world. And then, and then the deceitfulness of riches. How many know or have ever said, you know, I really just need some more money? Because the deceitfulness of riches is this, is this ideology or this kind of whisper, if you will, that says if you just had more money, everything would be okay. And we know in our spirits that's wrong. You know, it's like somebody said, well, you know, money doesn't solve all the problems. If you had all the money in the world, you'd still have problems. I'm like, I don't know. I'd kind of like to try it. <laughs> like, I'm trying to believe you. But I'm just thinking it'd be worth it for a day just kind of see how that worked out. But that's the truth, even for believers, like we love God and we trust God, but it's still like we get in these places where it's like, man, if I just had more money and we try to make more money, we do this, we do that. And, we do that. and, then, and then the last one is, is just the desire for things. And I don't know about you, I love Jesus, but there are times something catches my eye and I'm like, well, I like that. The other day I was at a red light. I love my truck. I love my truck. I'm a pickup man. This guy pulled up next to me in a Lamborghini. I was like, well, that's sexy. <laughs> I'm like, hey, I can't even fit in it, but it was cool looking. <laughs> kind of made me think, I wonder if I could ever have a Lamborghini.
Lamborghini like that. You know, I'd be sticking out of the top. It looked like I was in one of those little plastic Barbie cars or something. But anyways, you know, but still, it was sexy. And it sounded so good. <laughs> Jesus. I'm just telling you, these are things. It's, 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 it's the, those distractions that creep in, those areas of compromise, just being passive. Those things move us away from God. And so really the question is, well, how do I maintain passion? The great thing is Jesus, because he's so gracious. Remember, remember correction. God corrects those he loves. It's, it's an evil father who doesn't correct. Because of course correction, if, if you're not corrected, you're going to end up in the wrong place. I mean, that's going to lead to death, but he'll correct you quickly. And so he says, hey, I'm going to tell you how, how to get your passion back. And like if a while ago when we were talking, if you were honest, you're like, you know, I kind of feel like I'm maybe a one or a two or a three or a four or a five or, you know, I'm kind of going through the motion, but I don't, I don't, my heart's not on fire anymore. The great thing is the word of God tells us how to get it back. It comes in verse five, Revelation two, verse five. It says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. So here three R's. Remember, repent, redo. You, it's what he tells her. He's so loving. He says, you get a redo. Has anyone ever given you a redo on something? Like a test that you took or, a, you know, a certification you were trying to get and it didn't go very well, but they're like, we're going to give you a redo. Aren't redos one? Have you ever played golf and they gave you a mulligan? Yes. My standard rule is I get one mulligan per hole. I, I, I shoot so much better when I get 18 free shots. Right? And so here's what he said. Remember, repent and redo. So let's look at this really quickly together. Number one, repent. Uh, number one, remember. I think this is what he said. Remember where you, where you started. Remember where you came from. Like I've said it so many times, and I'll say it probably until I die, but we can never get over being saved. The fastest way to lose your passion is to get over being saved. And this is what he says, remember, remember. And sometimes you just need to stay connected to who you were before you found Jesus or really before Jesus found you. Like you, you need to, you know what I've found? You know who's really happy to be found? A person that knows what it's like to be lost. You know who's happy to be alive? Somebody that was dead. You know what I'm saying? And, and I think sometimes this is the, the, the concern so many times in, in, in Christendom is, is we, we, we get we, maturity has a downside. And, and that is, well, let me back up. The illusion of it. Okay, let me try to explain this. Spiritual maturity and secular or worldly maturity are two different things. In the world, maturity means that you grow less dependent. In the kingdom, maturity means that you grow more dependent. The more mature you come in Christ, the more you need him, not the less. But unfortunately, in our secularized way of thinking, we think the whole idea kind of like a newborn. You know, if you have a newborn, you got to do everything for them. 
And then they grow up and then they get to where they can feed themselves, dress themselves, you know, and then they go off to college and they live their lives. And it's like, oh, maturity means they are less dependent. And we think that's the goal. But spiritually, maturity means I grow more dependent on him. The problem is sometimes we, we cross the two and we think spiritual maturity is, is getting to where, well, I know the stuff and I know the scripture and I know what to do. And all of a sudden, it's like we need him less. And so we have to go back to the beginning to where we didn't know all the stuff. Like you remember when you first got saved and you were completely ignorant spiritually, but you were so in love with Jesus. Like, do you remember that? Like, I had that experience. Like, I don't know nothing. I love Jesus. I didn't know that. You know, you don't know the rules, and you don't know the dress code, and you don't know the vernacular, and you don't know what worship's supposed to You don't know the motions of the songs. But you love Jesus. And that's the thing is, is we, he's like, you got to go back. You got to remember. Remember, you were lost. And he found you. You were dead and he brought you back to life. You were addicted and he delivered you. Right? You, you were unforgiven and he forgave. You were unlovable and he loved you. You were a hot mess, a disaster on wheels, on a highway to hell. And he rescued you and delivered you and saved you from destruction. Sometimes you got to go back and say, Jesus, I remember when all I had was you because I didn't know how to do religion. I only had you. And I got to go back and remember where I came from and remember that God rescued me and God saved me and God loved me before I was good. Right? Because that's the bad thing about religion is religion convinces us eventually that we're good enough. And what if I told you that the same grace you needed to save you when you were a hot mess, he needs, you need it to sustain you now that you're good enough. And let me help you with something else. Good enough can't save you. If good enough could save you, Jesus wouldn't have come. You're still just as, without him, you still have no hope. And without him, you still have no future. And without him, you would still be lost in your sin. The same Jesus that saved you is the same one who is saving you and the same one that will save you. David prayed this in Psalm 51 after he fell in, well, I don't know if you call it fallen in sin. I think he kind of dove in with Bathsheba. I don't think there was a slip and fall. I think it was calculated. Anyways, the point is, he comes back in Psalm 51 and he says this. He says, and look at it. They'll put it on the screen, but check this out. It says, um, restore to me the joy of, now look at this word, look at this word. The joy of your salvation. <laughs> You will always lose your passion when his salvation ceases being his salvation and starts being your salvation. He didn't say, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. 
It's not our possession. It's his gift. It's not ours. It's his. My salvation can't save me. I need his salvation. And when I start thinking it's my salvation, I'm always going to lose passion because I'm going to be focused on me and how good I am and what I've learned and how many verses I can quote and how I can critique other people on social media about their faith. And David said, you know what? I got caught up in this, and I thought it was my salvation. And when it became mine, it became a possession and not grace, and it became something I had and not something I was given. And so restore to me the joy of your salvation. You need to remember, here's the second thing, you need to repent. Repent, yeah, of, we talked about of compromise and, and repent of passivity and, and uh, repent of, of, of letting distractions take over. But do you know, and this is really the heart of the issue, like, like lean in because this is the message. Do you know the problem with the Ephesians? I've kind of hit all around it, but let me say it very plainly. Their heads got bigger than their hearts. He said, he said this, he said, you have, <laughs> um, you have emphasized truth over love. Your, your head, like you know the stuff, but, but you've lost passion in your heart. And can I tell you, like, this is one of those warnings that you need on your dashboard with Jesus because this is where I've gotten to several times, so I'm not telling you something I haven't lived. I know what it's like to lose passion. But I try to pay attention. Like, God, is my head getting bigger than my heart? Like, like even, even with, you know, for me, what I do every week is I bring a message, and I, and I think, am I trying to show people what I know? Or have you filled my heart and set it on fire and I'm trying to share that with people? Like, what am I, what do I really show up today to share, Jesus? What I know, because I want people to think, he is so smart and witty. <laughs> or, or am I trying to say, man, my heart is just on fire for Jesus because he is so good and I love him so much and I want you to love him the way I love him and I want your heart to burn the way my heart burns. And, and I'm just telling you, one of the safeguards we need, we need to take an invoice. Wait, wait a second. Am I serving God from my head or my heart? Because faith is not an issue of the head. It's always an issue of the heart. If you believe in your heart, Faith, faith doesn't come from intellect. It, it comes from encounter. And my concern is a lot of times people, you know, we start growing our intellect because we're, and we should study the Bible and we read, and we listen to podcasts and, and we should feed on the word of God and we should, we should learn. But, but you can't, you can't let your head get more full than your heart. Because Intellectualism will never lead to faith. Understanding will never lead to faith. Faith leads by faith. We understand the writer of Hebrews said. I never forget um, a, a friend of ours went to school with my brother. Um, he had this passion, this heart, and he wanted to be a minister. He just 
love, you know, just love God and the church. And, and, um, even as a, as a teenager, just wanted to serve the Lord. And, and he decided to go into, and let me just preface, I'm not against seminaries. That's not what this is about. Just making a point, but he went into one of the best seminaries, went through school, got his undergrad, went in seminary, you know, got his degrees. And I don't believe that he ever went into ministry. And, and what he told my brothers, he said, I spent all that time in seminary filling up my head, but it completely emptied my heart. And he didn't know how to get his heart full again. And I'm like, I'm so glad for what Jesus tells John because he tells us how to get our heart full again. He tells us if your head's getting bigger than your heart, you got you to gotta remember and then you got to repent. And you got to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Salvation is not a contract I made in my head. It is a conviction that I hold to in my heart. Like, God, salvation is right here. Not right here. Right here. One person said, many people will miss heaven because of 18 inches. Or they'll miss heaven by 18 inches. Because that is the distance from your head to your heart. Like I heard the gospel. I know the gospel. I know the truth. Yeah, but faith is an encounter. Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith comes by encounter, not information. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, come back to this simplicity of this devotion. That's what Paul wrote to the, to the Corinthians. He said, in 2 Corinthians 11.3, he said, but I, I'm so fearful lest some of you as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. So your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. He said, this is my, I'm concerned because just as Satan Deceived Eve. Can I, can I tell you, like, here's the secret of devotion. Because, you know, our head's bigger than the heart. How do I get my heart bigger than my head? Let me help you. It's right here. Satan deceived Eve. How does Satan deceive Eve? So let me give you the secret of devotion. I'll explain it. The secret of devotion is not found in trying to be more devoted to God. It is found in the revelation of his devotion to you. We love him because he first loved us, right? So what is the secret? By the way, love is the strongest motivation. Like for, for some people, maybe you're struggling with sin and compromise. Let me tell you the secret. Love. It's not trying harder. It's falling harder in love. He said, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. This is not like love me and keep my commandments. He's saying, no, if you fall in love with me, you'll obey. Because love is a stronger motivator than law. It's the whole idea of the new covenant. And so the secret of devotion is not, well, I'm going to try to be more devoted. I remember, I never forget, I have a friend and he's a part of our church now and has been for many, many years, but Years and years ago, when he first came, I, I said, I'm going to start a series called, and I can't remember if it was, it was something to do with devotion, true devotion or simply devoted, or I can't remember what I called it. It's 100 years ago. But, 
And he, and he had come from a religious kind of background, very legalistic. And he said, okay, I'm going to come back next week and learn how I can be more devoted to God. And I preached the message that next week called um, The Secret of Devotion. And all I talked about was how devoted God is to you. He's like, it blew my mind. He's like, I thought I was going to come back and find out how I could try harder to be devoted. And all you talked about was how devoted God is to me. And he said, it set my heart on fire. So see, that's what he said here. He said, I'm, I'm concerned why Satan will convince you God's not devoted to you. Just like he did to Eve. He said, God's withholding something good. And that's what he does in our life. He, he points out prayers that we haven't seen answered yet. Or he points out things hoped for, or desires or dreams that maybe haven't materialized. And he's saying, God's keeping something from you. And then he causes you to look at your friend's Instagram and say, yeah, God didn't give you a vacation to Tahiti, right? And all of a sudden, he's convincing you that God is not devoted to you. And if he can convince you that God is not devoted to you, then he'll rob you of the simplicity of power and loving Jesus. But the, what you need to understand is devotion with God comes from the revelation that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for the ungodly to bring me back to God. And while I was a mess, he never lost. When I was faithless, he was faithful. He never gave up on me and never will. He is committed and he is devoted to me and I can be devoted to him. Remember and repent. Here's the, the last one. Redo. Redo what you did at first. There's three sub points, so I'm going to have to hit them pretty quickly. But the first one, redo. Let me give you three W's for sub points. Number one, redo your worship. Redo your worship. Um, I'm not talking about the motions of worship, I'm talking about the motive of worship. Remember when you first got saved and you just wanted to be in God's house? Like, remember when you used to make excuses to be there instead of trying to find excuses to not? Remember when the live stream wasn't good enough? Because you just wanted to be in the presence of God? I just, I just want to be, have you ever, have you ever met somebody that's just fallen in love? Right? Have you ever met, if you, none of y'all have? Husbands, you missed an opportunity. Dear God, I'm trying to help you. You ever been around somebody that just fallen in love and they just want to be around that person all the time? Right? They, they just, ah, oh, just want to be in their presence. FaceTime's just not good enough. Texting is just not good enough. I just got to be around. I just got to hear them breathe. <laughs> I don't know. Y'all remember in, in, back in high school, we didn't have all the technology we have today. We actually had voice conversations on phones. Is anybody from my generation? Yeah. Um, nowadays, you talk into the phone to make it into a message to send it to them that their phone then reads to them in a voice. We had the same thing. We just cut out the middleman and talked. But do you remember in, in high school, your high school sweetheart, how, how you'd be on the phone 
and because you couldn't be together because, you know, it's school night or whatever, and, and, and your parents don't know you snuck the phone into your room because cordless phones had just come out, and you're on the phone. I never did this. And you're on the phone, and, and, and you run out. You don't have anything else to say, and you're just kind of both breathing on the phone. And then you're kind of like, you hang up. No, you hang up. You hang up first. No, you hang up. You hang up. No, you hang up. Y'all remember that? It's so goofy. But here's the thing. It's because you love that person. You're like, I just want to be as close to them as I can. That's worship. I love this person, and I want to be in his presence. I'm not talking about coming into a building. You can come into a building and never be in the presence of God. You can come into a worship experience and never actually worship because worship is not about motions. It's about motives. It's it's not about what you do. It's about the posture of your heart. And can I tell you something that I felt like God showed me? God's love language is quality time. Not time, quality time. Now, if you're a quality time, love language person, you understand the difference. Time is we're in the same car. We're in the same room. Quality time is we're connected. We're we're, we're connecting. We're communicating. We're sharing life with each other. God's love language. Look, I was thinking about this, and a lot of it has to do with worship, but I just ran down these scriptures really quickly in my head, but I thought, Psalm 95, this is God. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Psalm 95, come, let us sing to the Lord. Psalm 102, come before his presence with singing. Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Matthew 11, on your bad day, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. James 4, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Like like this, this is what God is saying during worship. Like, come on, come meet with me. Come be in my presence. Come connect with me. Like, how, how do I get my passion back? I redo worship. The modern church has started to think that worship is about us. It's about the song we want to hear. It's about the singer we want to listen to. It's about the time limit we want to set aside. But what if worship is not about us? What if worship is about the song he wants to hear? What if worship is about the amount of time he wants spent in worship? What if we were to worship him and stop asking him to worship us? And we come in and we're like, I don't know, I don't like that song. And it's, it's not fast or it's not slow or it's too loud. It's, listen, if it's about being with the presence of the one you love, you'll worship with a banjo and gourds. And I have seen it done. And it's not pretty. Because it's like, no, I just want to be in the presence of the one who has captured my heart. What I've found is passion will produce worship, but I've also found that worship produces passion. David said, behold him and worship him in the beauty of his holiness. Here's what he's saying. When you see him, you'll worship him. When you see him, he'll, he'll set your heart on fire. David said, I have seen you in the sanctuary. When Elijah saw the Lord, he was like, I'm an unclean man. He falls to the ground. Why? Listen, if you're, here's what he's saying. If you're missing passion, redo worship. Here's the a, here's a second sub point. Redo your word. 
Like, do you remember when you read the word of God to connect with the God of the word? Because I don't know about you, and, and this happens to me sometimes. I read the Bible pretty much every day. Um, and there are times you get in a hurry and, and you're like, oh, I don't have time today. Like, maybe the alarm didn't go off. Maybe there's something different about your schedule, whatever. And there's times you're tempted to quit. And there's times you're tempted just to skip it. And there's times you're tempted just to, to read over it real fast. And because and ultimately I need to post it on Instagram so everybody knows I read the Bible. <laughs> But to remember, remember when it wasn't a religious activity, when you weren't reading a rule book or a guidebook, but you were reading a love letter? Remember when I read the Bible because it showed me the heart of my beloved? Like remember when it wasn't about reading it through in a year, and I'm not against that. I try to do that every year. But it was like, I'm going to sit down. And the God that I love that's in love with me is going to talk to me. And what happens when it gets ritualistic and, and religious and I just need to get through a few chapters so I, can, I know I did it and then I'll... And, and essentially what happens is all of a sudden we're reading the Bible to appease our conscience. And we're reading the Bible to try to please Him. And God is like... I don't want to be pleased as much as I want to be known. The secret of pleasing me is knowing me. And you're like, I'm calling you to something deeper. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about, you know, because there's times I know a lot of people have read the Bible a lot, and, and there's that temptation sometimes when you're in a hurry and you get to a chapter you know really well to kind of skip it. Kind of like, I know, I know what that says. But then I thought the Bible talks about how the word of God is milk and the word of God is meat. And I thought, how crazy would it be if you took me to my favorite restaurant and ordered me my favorite meal and sat it before me? And, and I looked at you and said, oh, I've had that before. I don't need that. I've had that before. I don't have time to eat that. I promise you, you bring me my favorite meal. I'm going to stop and eat it. Right? I'm not going to be like, no. And that's the thing about the Bible is the more familiar you are with it, the more you should enjoy it. Because when I know what it says in one way, I get to try to learn something new about what it says in another way. I can dig deeper. And not only that, there are some passages, I'll be honest, that I have marked in my Bible that they are meat and they are milk. And when I am starving, when I am encountering some difficulty or whatever, I go to those passages, even though I've got them memorized, and I read them because they are life, and they are light, and they are milk, and they are nourishment for my soul. And he's saying, you got to redo worship, but you got to redo the Word. And then the last thing is, redo your witness. Um, remember, let's go back to the, if you've ever met somebody that's fallen in love. Have you ever noticed when you're around them, the only thing they can talk about is that person? Have you ever noticed that? Do you remember when you first fell in love with Jesus and he saved you and you didn't know how to give an altar call? 
and you didn't know the Romans road to salvation. That used to be the, the, the tool they taught us to use. You know, the Romans road to salvation is scriptures, but they called it the Romans road, how you walk people through salvation. And you memorize the Romans road, you know, all I've started with all of sin, falling short of the glory of God, you know, we're, you know, faithful and God is faithful and just forgive us for sin, cleanse, you know, and you just kind of walked them through. But remember before you knew all of that, you know, you just told people, I love Jesus. Why? Because he loves me. <laughs> like, I don't know any scripture. It's kind of like the blind man. I'm sorry, the, yeah, no. Yeah, the blind man. I think that's right. Jesus healed him. And they said, tell us what you know. And he said, all I know is I once was blind. And now I can see. And you remember when you told people, like, I don't know. All I know was I was depressed, but now I'm not. And I was lost, but now I'm found. I was dead, but now I'm alive. And, 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 and I was in so much pain and hopelessness. And, and now this light has broken forth in my soul. And, and you, remember, you remember what it was like to be on fire for God, where if people just got around you, you needed to tell them about Jesus? And I just think he's saying, redo your witness because when we witness to people, when we see God touch people the way God touched us, it re-energizes us. It reinvigorates us. I, by the way, I'm not talking about being weird. I'm not saying go to your break room and look at your friend who's halfway into a tuna fish sandwich and say, if you were to die tonight. Now I'm serious, Leroy. If you were to die right now, they're going to arrest you. They're going to put you in jail. The culture in which we live, we're going to see you on the news. You don't know. No, I'm not talking about being. If you were to die right now, do you know something I don't know? I'm a little bit worried about this now. I'm not talking about that. I remember being a teenager, they would have these big uh, evangelism pushes, and they would take all these teenagers, and they would, they would take us to neighborhoods at 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning and have us knock on doors. Because that's what every heathen wants. <laughs> After a night of partying and whatever, some smiling teenager at 8 o'clock in the morning, do you know Jesus? Let me share the Romans road. If you were to die right now. And they're like, I'm going to kill you right now. You know, that's what they're thinking. These are not people who are saved. I'm not talking about being weird. I'm just talking about finding ways to put Jesus in the conversations of your life. Finding ways to put the seeds of faith in the hearts of other people. People are like, man, it's a beautiful day today. Yeah, it really is a beautiful day. You know, I've found even on the bad days, they can still be good with Jesus. Somebody's like, man, I'm having a hard day. You know what? I know what it's like to have a hard day. I know what it's also like to have faith in Jesus. Jesus helps me through every hard day. Man, I'm really struggling in a relationship. You know, I, I, me too. Like, the greatest witnessing tool of the believer is learning this phrase, me too. Man, I'm struggling this. Me, you know, me too. I, I've dealt with that. But let me tell you how Jesus helps me. Well, I'm dealing with this. Me too. I've dealt with that. But let me tell you how Jesus helped me. And just find ways to put Jesus in the hearts. Here's the thought I have, and I'll leave you with this. In Acts chapter 1, when the Holy Spirit comes to the church, and he comes, and, and, and it's, we're given this picture of cloven tongues of fire. And I like the picture of fire because fire to me is like a passion. You know, if, if there's passion in your heart, it's kind of like your heart's on fire. Does that make sense? And I thought about this. He said, you will see power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
And why? You will be my witnesses. Now notice he's not saying if you're a pastor, you'll be a witness or if you feel like being a witness. You know, he's just saying the Holy Spirit's going to come and you're going to be a witness. And I realized two things when I saw that likening the Holy Spirit to fire, which we see throughout the Bible, is that passion or fire causes me to be a witness. And I thought if fire causes me to be a witness, the way I keep the fire going is to witness. Because if fire produces witnessing, witnessing will produce fire. And I know it to be true through experience because nothing will set your heart ablaze like watching someone you've prayed for, someone you've witnessed to come to know Christ. Nothing will set you on fire like that. And so I'm just saying, here we are at the beginning of this new year. Where's your passion at? Where's your passion at? And here's a great thing. Like, if it's not where it needs to be, God's giving you a redo. Remember, repent, redo the worship, redo the word, redo your witness. Will you stand with me? And I'm going to ask our ministry team or prayer team if you'll go ahead and come. And I'm going to pray for us. And, and really, I, I felt like how to close this message. And really, honestly, I felt like I'm just going to ask everybody to answer the altar call. But since we can't all fit up here, I'm going to bring the altar to your seat. <laughs> and so you make your altar a seat or your, your seat an altar, if you will. <laughs> and, um, and it becomes the posture of your heart where you say, okay, where am I at? in my level of passion and where, where do I want to be? And then in this message, we've talked about a lot of things and maybe they don't all apply to you, but probably something does. Like, have I drifted away because it's just been passive or am I distracted or has there been a compromise? D do I need to remember? Do I need to, to repent? Do I need to redo worship or the word or, or, or my witness? But let the Holy Spirit speak to you because this is my heart for you. Like, I want your heart to burn with a devotion and a passion for God because it makes this whole thing work a lot better. And so will you pray with me by your heads? Father, I thank you so much. God, that you love us so much. You love us so much. You love us so much, you would rather sacrifice your son than live without us. And so, God, right now, I know there are people in this room, and there are probably people in this room, God, that are just on fire for you. But, God, I also know there are probably people in this room or watching online, God, and their, their passion is faded, and, and they want it back. They do. So God, right now, I just pray you'd speak to every heart. What is it, God? Where, where is the adjustment? Where's the correction that we need to take, God, to get our passion where it needs to be? To get moving again. And Lord, I, I'm going to be the first, and I want everyone to join me in this, just to say, God, I am, I am so sorry. Because I know I have let distractions in and I know I've let areas of compromise in. I know, I just know, God, I've been guilty of these things. I know, God, that 
I have. I know that I've been passive in areas that I should have been passive. Lord, I'm so sorry. I, and I ask you, Lord, just help me. I repent of that, but God, help me get that passion back. Set my heart on fire, God. Show me your great love for me. Because God, when I see that, the only response I can have is to love you back. God, my commitment is, God, I'm going to seek after your presence and worship my way into your presence. God, I'm going to connect with you from the heart when I read the word. And God, I'm going to share my faith. God, I'm going to do these. I'm going to, you've given me a read of your grace and your mercy. Because God, this Christian life was never, never supposed to be lived just out of obligation or duty, but God, out of love and passion and desire. And God, that's what I pray for me. It's what I pray for everyone in our church. God, just ignite again our hearts. Just light the fire again in our hearts, Lord. Till our hearts burn for you. God, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Now, we're about to dismiss, but if you need prayer, we have a team here. We would love to pray. If you need a relationship with Jesus, if you need to renew your relationship with Jesus, if you're not sure if you have a relationship with Jesus, we want to serve you. But if you need prayer for anything, we want to pray for you. But church, I just, listen, this week, let's press in. Let's, let's take our redo and let's let God ignite our hearts in a fresh way. Amen. God bless you. I love you so much. I will see you at prayer or I'll see you next weekend. God bless you. I love you.